Hello, family. This is Larry Hogan. I'm your host for the podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? That is the question. The answer, forward. Always forward. I have long been an advocate of basic character traits involving the mores of humanity. Those traits and mores are political, cultural, and spiritual. Whether one cares to admit it or not, those aspects of life help to determine one's way of life. So for me, the question is, America, what now? Whether you are pro or con. By now, everyone has heard about the indictment. It is an incredibly rare formal accusation. In fact, it is the it was it is the first of its kind. It is a history-making indictment. Now I am not a lawyer, so I wanted to be sure of the term, the steps, and the implications of being indicted. Oxford languages define an indictment as formally accused of or a charge with a serious crime. A formal accusation is the formal notification that a grand jury has brought charges against a defendant. A grand jury is convened in some criminal cases to decide whether prosecutors have enough evidence to bring a defendant to trial. Only a grand jury can formally indict and all indictments contain charges. Now, there is a, now that there is a formal indictment, the next step in the process is to determine guilt or innocence. There is a trial, a plaintiff, that would be the city of New York, led by District Attorney Alvin Bragg, and a defendant. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I am talking about the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. That's why it is history-making that has never happened before where a president has been formally accused or indicted of a crime. They each get a chance to state or make their case. Each team presents their case. After both sides makes their presentation, a jury of their peers hears the facts, discuss those facts, and make their recommendations to a judge. It is a process that has been around for hundreds of years, probably since its inception, that being the American justice and judicial system. Now, in Congress, the federal government, if you would, the House of Representatives have been making an argument of late about activist judges and the weaponization of government agencies. Led by Congressman Jim Jordan, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, his argument for or against abuse and his jurisdiction per se are in conflict. His jurisdiction concerns federal agencies such as the FBI and or the DOJ Department of Justice not state agencies, and yet he is arguing against a state district attorney making legal decisions 
and accusations about state law, his state. Now, the reason why I think that's interesting is one of the leaders of the House of Representatives, again, that being Jim Jordan, the People's House, led by uh, the Republican Party that professes to be small government, states' right act, act, uh, advocates, pro-businesses, law and order party, will get so worked up and outraged over an indictment. Let the process play run its course. Now, I have a friend who hopefully, by the time this goes to air, will have passed the Florida bar exam on his way to achieving his long-awaited, hard-fought goal of becoming a lawyer. We talked about this situation, and the results of our conversation left me surprised and slightly disappointed. Because he too joined the cast in the outcry of no man is above the law, but justified his outrage by insisting this charge, this indictment was purely political and not based on criminal or civil wrongdoing. As my good friend via television commentator Rachel Maddow on her show, she would say, watch this space. Now, the other part of this uh, Where Do We Go From Here podcast today is culture. I guess that would be considered political. The other part of it is culture. And I'm calling this We Are The Champions. For the first time ever, the women's Final Four was equally watched and more interesting than the men's Final Four. If you're not familiar with the term, the Final Four, it represents college basketball championship games. It is also commonly referred to as March Madness. Three weeks of win or go home games between 65 invited schools to different arenas around the country. Now, let's give a little background here. In the 2021-2022 academic year, the NCAA, National Collegiate Athletic Association, raked in $1.15 billion with a B in revenue, with March Madness accounting for 90% of the entire amount. Now, to be fair, the women's basketball rights, along with about 24 other teams, rakes in about $34 million. But the championship game, between LSU and Iowa was viewed by a little under 12.5 million viewers. 10 million was aired live on major broadcast networks such as ABC and ESPN. Well, ESPN is a major broadcast network, but it's also streaming. And nearly 3 million, though, was on ESPN. And finally, the game was the most viewed ever on ESPN Plus and its streaming services. Now, there's more from the business sense of the comparison between men and women championship. And let me be clear that that $1.15 billion 
is based on the uh, basketball, not the uh, the football programs and such. But that the numbers speak for themselves regarding interest in the women's tournament. This year's championships, both both genders were in a dead heat with the tournament games as it relates to viewership. In other words, there was equal amount of viewers, if not more or little less, for both the men's championship and the women's championship. But nobody's really talking about the men's championship. I think they're all talking about the women's championship. So now let us talk about the game. And then I want to make my way to the reason for this whole discussion. First up, the defending champion, South Carolina. They were undefeated through 36 games coming into the Final Four. One more win and they were in the championship game for a chance to do something that had not been done in seven years. Repeat champions. It was not to be as they lost the game to Iowa. A major upset, really. Iowa was led by unanimous All-American Caitlin Clark, who was the first baller, man or woman, to record a 40-point triple-double in March Madness tournament play. Now, so here's the setup which makes this interesting per my conversation, which I hope to get to later. Uh, South Carolina, led by Don Staley, she of the All-American Heritage College star who played for uh, Perennial Powerhouse in the last, certainly the most successful women's basketball team in the last 15 years, the University of Connecticut. Uh, they were champions for a decade. Dawn is a two-time Olympic champion, as the young people say. She has the receipt. South Carolina, her team, as a coach, she is a two-time champion prior to this opportunity for a third championship. The talk was how great and aggressive her teams are. Nothing negative, just what most thought was complimentary. But suddenly, the team was being called thugs, hooligans, playing the game not like it was intended to be. So here we are now. Iowa, led by the aforementioned Caitlin Clark, defeats undefeated defending champion, South Carolina. Caitlin Clark was everything, everybody's dream girl. She plays the game the right way, hustle, grit, and determination. Team first, that's what people were saying about Caitlin Clark and Iowa. You heard what they were saying about perennial champion, South Carolina undefeated suddenly. They were saying how they were so aggressive and they were thugs and hoodlums. So let's get back to the game just for a minute, though. I want to go back and talk about that. Iowa's opponent in the championship game was LSU. The big calling card there was their coach, a four-time champion in her own right. She was raised in Louisiana, so you had that dream status, so to speak. Homegirl coming back home. Now, LSU was led by a ragtag bunch of uh, competing girls who were predicted to finish no higher than fourth in their conference champion, in their conference at the beginning of the season. They were led by a collection, when I say ragtag bunch, 
they were late. This is their first time really competing together. Uh, Kim Mulkey, second time, second year as coach. And so there were a lot of transfers and they were gelling as a team. But as we said before, as I said before, uh, they were predicted to finish no higher than fourth. Well, at the beginning of the tournament, they were a number two seed. And so let's face it. When you get to the championship game, your team is good. And it has been proven repeatedly, no matter the sport, male or female, a team beats individual talent nine out of ten times. And I can go on and on, but now I hope that you got the setup. You have one team led by a superstar player, Iowa and Caitlin Clark, and the other, LSU, a team of brash rejects in the form of transfers, but led by a superstar coach in Kim Mulkey. So who do you think won? LSU, and they did it handily. They led most, if not all, of the game, and when it was all said and done, they won comfortably by double digits. Now, why is this game so important that it raises a discussion on where do we go from here podcast? Well, let me tell you why. USA Today headlines after the game. It says the reaction to Angel Reese taunting Caitlin Clark shows the double standards for black athletes. If you haven't gotten it yet, we send this up uh, because everything in America, just about whether you want to admit it or not, everything in America is based on politics or race, all the have versus the have nots. And so Angel Reese was the star. That's why the headline was reaction to Angel Reese. And uh, judging by the headline, you'll see why we're talking about Taunton, Caitlin Clark. Here's what Angel Reese said back in January before March Madness. I am too hood. I am too ghetto. I don't fit the narrative and I'm okay with that. I'm from Baltimore where you hoop outside and talk trash. If it was a boy, y'all wouldn't be saying nothing at all. So let us normalize women showing passion for the game instead of it being embarrassing. That's what some of the folks call. Now let's go to Miss Caitlin. As skilled a player as can be, but her antics are not an embarrassment. She can talk with the best of them, but she is not an embarrassment to the game as evidenced by comments from others. And Angel said that statement about I'm too hood and don't fit in a box back in January, as I said, with this pardon shot, when other people do it, AKA trash talk, y'all don't say nothing. So Caitlin, the great player, I, I hate to be like that, but the great white hope, and she's not a hope because she's a legitimate star, but she has this thing that she borrowed from professional wrestler John Cena. She waves her hand in the face and says, you cannot see me. It's her tongue. Well, Angel did the same tongue while following her to the bench. With the pain and agony of defeat firmly established, that 
is when the whole sports world got upset and stopped making these references. And it went all the way back to South Carolina and Don Staley. That's when they started making this. You're an effing idiot. You're, you play the game with no class. These are professionals. And as I said earlier, as is the case with about every discussion today, it bleeds political, red, AKA white male conservatives, blue, AKA black Democrats. Now let us be clear. The plurality of respondents fell along those lines. It is not factual, but enough to at least mention. Professional commentators were streaming this as akin to outright war instead of what it was. An incredibly competitive, tense basketball game, which I've said repeatedly, is better than the men's game. But I want you to remember the comments that Angel made. It is in response to what was being said about her game and trash talk. Remember what I said? The professional commentators, they were saying she was undisciplined, a hoodlum, and some described her antics with profanity-laced comments. And again, they said the same thing about South Carolina. The defending champion, they were mostly black teammates. And all of a sudden, they became too aggressive. They were hood. They were thugs. Is it possible that because of Iowa players being mostly white, there was a sympathy, slight disappointment in the outcome? Did you hear the words and comments ascribed to their players? And again, particularly Miss Caitlin. She is smart, tenacious, gritty, get every ounce of talent out of her. She uses her teammates. All positive. Now let me ask you something. When was the last time some of the greatest NBA players of the day came to the defense of a women's college championship game? And I'm not saying that they don't make comments, but to defend a player Players such as LeBron James and Shaq, for instance. If you really want to push the envelope, go back to the 80s. And the same exact comments were made regarding Larry Bird. Don't you remember? All the fuss when Isaiah Thomas said, if Larry were black, nobody would be describing his play that way. You remember all the talk about the black quarterback in the NFL? They are not smart enough to manage the complicated position of quarterbacking and running the team. Uh, last I checked, Jalen Hurt and Patrick Mahone identify as black, and they were the starting quarterbacks in 2023's Super Bowl. And to top it all off, the first lady, Jill Biden, and when has the first lady ever got involved in this? But she took it upon herself to announce she would encourage Joe, that being President Biden, to invite both teams to the White House for a visit because of their good sportsmanship. Now, when has that ever happened? 
that both teams are invited. Was the Celtics and the Warriors invited? Again, was Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles invited? Now, I brought all of that out just to make us aware or to make you aware of the commentary that was being made about a truly great and epic that should have been celebrated basketball game. If you did not see it, it was fantastic. In the first half, LSU, they could not miss their three-pointer. They hadn't taken the three-pointer all day. In the first seven minutes of the second half of the game, Iowa, led by Caitlin Clark, came and cut a 22-point deficit to under 10. So, as I close this, to her critic, Miss Clark, she disagreed with the invitation and stated that it was not a good idea. She said all the credit should go to the champions because the team earned it. And one final thing, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark, they don't have any beef with one another. As a matter of fact, they both uh, were positive. They both came back and said, no, this is not about me or her. This is about our teams. And we won. But Angel Reese was trying to uh, 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 be her own woman and live in herself and have confidence in speaking herself and be proud of her accomplishment and all that she had to come through. Nobody knows it. Nobody really knows it because she never really talked about it. And... Angel Reese, while Caitlin Clark has grabbed everyone and they're well-deserved of the individual honors that were been out there, Angel Reese was not a slouch either. She averaged a double-double in 34 of 36 possible games. And none other than Shaquille O'Neal himself said that she possibly could be. I don't even know if he said possibly, but he said she is the greatest athlete to come out of LSU. You know who, besides Shaquille O'Neal, you know who else came out of uh, LSU of late? How about Joe Burrow, Super Bowl playing quarterback for Cincinnati Bengals, that taking them to two straight championship games? And the reason why Shaq said that he did it, he said, Joe Burrow, yes, he got championship. It was somewhat expected. But Angel Reese delivered got championship when nobody was expecting it and she did it in her first year so I'm just saying a champion we are the champions and just appreciate the game for what it was now that was my comment on culture and I'm going to close this out with politics now by now you uh you know about the Tennessee Three. And this leads right into my final discussion with what happened last week in Tennessee. Was it explosion or exposure? Was it race-related? Was it political? Was it necessary to take such drastic action? You must ask, why did the white woman not get expelled. She participated, participated in the protest as well. Why did not the legislator listen and address the question 
on everyone's mind. The shooting and killing of six people at a school, a church school, no less. The legislator did not, the legislators did not want to deal with that issue. Their problem was decorum in the state house, the people's house. Never mind the lack of decorum in the state itself. Never mind that just a week earlier, the governor had quite, they have, that legislator has made it more easier to obtain guns, including lowering the age of purchasing one. The Tennessee Three. It's just getting started. We have to wait and see what is going to happen. We've already seen a part of it with them being reinstated uh, back to the people's house by the people of their district. But it's just getting started. Would you, if I could, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> this is Larry Hogan. I'm your host for the podcast. Where do we go from here? Thank you for listening.